By now you know the story that I'm about to tell. Unless you haven't been paying attention, don't read, haven't been watching the news, uh, you will instantly be familiar with the images I'm about to show from a very sad story. The story is the tragic one of a man by the name of Botham Jean. On September 6, 2018, Botham, also affectionately called Bo by his family and friends, was in his apartment getting ready to watch a football game, preparing some ice cream. As he did that, the, what, there was a noise at the door. The door popped open. Instantly, a Dallas police officer entered the apartment. In those moments, what happened between Bo and the Dallas police officer by the name of Ander, Amber Geiger was the subject of the last year and the trial that was began uh, this last September. It was a terrible, awful tragedy as this young man who went to Harding University, was a song leader, a member, uh, a leader there at the, the Dallas West Church of Christ, just going about his life uh, with potential, with all of the world in front of him, and it was ended instantly because because from Amber's perspective, she had come home after a long shift. She lived in the same building as Bo, and she got, because she had worked this long shift, she was tired, she was texting, she was distracted, and she she went on the wrong floor of her apartment building. And so what she thought She was entering her apartment, and she opened the door and saw an intruder and instinctively went into defensive mode. She was scared for her life because she thought she was entering her apartment. She was not. She shot and killed Bo there on September 6, 2018. It was terrible. It was awful. It was unjust. And it was, a, it was a story with all of the elements for the enemy to use. All of the elements to get everybody on their side of the story. It was police versus civilian. It was male versus female. It was black versus white. It was this story that culminated. And, and in our vitriolic, divisive age, it was a story ripe to get us all paying attention. To make all angry and more divided. It was a terrible, awful tragedy that ended in the death of an innocent man. You see, Bo didn't get what he deserved that night. What happened to him was unjust. What happened to his family was unjust. Imagine if you are a parent that you have a child who is in their 20s, and they're living life, and, they're, and you've just talked to them, and you've just texted them, and all of a sudden, for no reason of this terrible, awful thing, your son is no more. Imagine losing a brother to the same sort of circumstances. Imagine the, what happened at the Dallas West Church of Christ, the absence felt, this terrible, awful tragedy. And Bo was wronged, his family was wronged. 
the people in his circles were wronged. This terrible thing. I share that story because it's in the news. And I share that story to ask you this question. Have you ever been wronged? I mean, you got what you didn't deserve. Somebody did something to you that that was unjust, unfair, that didn't make sense. Did someone say something to you that hurt you deeply, that didn't mean, uh, that, that wounded you? Did something happen to you that wasn't your fault, that you didn't ask for, but that you surely got? If you haven't, just wait long enough and you'll get there. It's part of the human experience. Bo's example is the most terrible, awful, extreme example of it. We have all experienced hurt and unjust and getting what we don't deserve. I take us from our shared experience in humanity to ask you this question. Have you ever considered that God gets hurt too? The scripture tells us again and again and again that our sin hurts him. That our sin breaks his heart. In fact, before the flood, the the scripture tells us in Genesis that, that God's heart was grieved that he had made man. Because every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And God was was hurt. He was wounded. God speaks of his relationship with his people Israel, which means he who struggles with God. He speaks of his covenant relationship as a wounded lover. As someone who's been cheated on again and again and again. He's been hurt. He's been wounded. My question is, when you think of how you respond when you've been hurt, you ever ask yourself, how does God respond when he's been hurt? The book of Micah tells us in wonderful detail, we're not going to go through a textual study, but but it is a... announcement of how the people of God had again and again had hurt God. How the enemies of God had again and again and again hurt God. And God just goes through using the prophet to speak again and again of the oppressors of his people and the rulers and the prophets that were supposed to be speaking and standing up for God. And he denounced them. And he goes all the way through these litany of charges of the way in which God has been hurt. Micah chapter 6, hear what the Lord says. Arise, arise, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall, shall see and be ashamed of all their might. God indicts them. He says, you've hurt me. You wounded me. And he says that to his people. He says that to the people against his people. He's speaking to all of us. And my question is, very naturally, then what, what then will happen when we hurt God? 
And fortunately, Micah does not end on Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 7, he goes on to say, verse 18, the verse that was read for you just a moment ago. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will have, again, compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You see, when when God is hurt, he very rightly could exact vengeance and justice and judgment. He has every right to do so. In fact, my, in my opinion, it is impossible to fully understand the love of God until you understand the justice and the judgment and the wrath of God. That's what so much of the prophets is all about. Him saying, I have every right to destroy you. Let me make it more personal. How have you hurt God? David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, when he committed adultery, in that moment, you have to think about who he hurt. A lot of people. He hurt Bathsheba. He certainly hurt Uriah. He certainly hurt their family. He hurt their their impact. He hurt himself in the kingdom. But when he understood his sin, what he said was, in Psalm 51, against you, O God, and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. How does God respond? God, according to Micah, is merciful. He's majestically, mightily merciful. Not giving us what we deserve, what our sins deserve, treading our iniquities underfoot and casting all our sins into the depths of the sea. And yet, because he does that, God calls us to have the same attitude when we are hurt, to be merciful just as he is. Micah chapter 6 in his indictment, he, he puts this in here, this well-known verse, the scripture. He says, with what, with what shall I come before the Lord? In other words, how can I make it up to God? And bow before my God on high. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? You see, all of those things God could demand, and rightly so, and even then it would not measure up to the debt that we owe him when we sin. You see, often we take sin far, far too lightly. When we're indicted, when we're convicted, when God points to us how deeply we owe him, and we're convicted, and we say like David, what can I do? We say like these people in Micah's day, 
Well, what shall I offer? Sacrifices, rivers of oil, take everything that I have and pour it before you. And God says this. He has told you, O man, I'm sorry, Micah says this. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, it's that middle one that we're talking about this morning, loving mercy. That's so, so easy to do for ourselves. When I preach a sermon on your sin and your convictions and stand before God Almighty, and everybody in the room thinks, oh, what I've done, what I've done, all the things that I've done, the things that people know about, the things that they don't know about. And Jesus gets to the thoughts of the heart, and we say, we need God's mercy. We cry out, please, God, forgive, God, forgive. And you want to hear a sermon on mercy. And it's so well received because we all need the mercy of God. That's not where mercy is supposed to stop. You see, it's not just all about a a one-way transaction. Mercy is not designed to be just something that you receive again and again and again from God, and it has no effect on your life. Imagine, for you will, just a moment, what would happen at guest lunch if people just say, well, I'm just going to go to guest lunch. I mean, there's a free meal there. I might as well just enjoy guest lunch. I mean, I mean, it's already there. It's free. It doesn't cost me anything. It'll save me a little bit of money and, and get a good meal, and I'll just go. Now, at guest lunch, you're supposed to bring enough food for yourself and for others, right? The, the groups, you know, do that. But, but what if everybody in the group decided, you know, I'm kind of tired of, of doing that, and I'd really rather enjoy eating the food instead of preparing the food? What would happen If a bunch of people went in and there was no food but many people to feed. Some people have that attitude with God's mercy. You know, I I, I much prefer to sit at the table of grace and enjoy God's mercy. But I don't want to bring any mercy to the table. That's inconvenient. It's hard. It's difficult. I, I don't want to do that. You see... Loving mercy for ourselves, that's easy. Even the world can do that. But loving mercy for other people, well, that's, that's another matter altogether. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11, if you're following along in your Bible, Proverbs 19, verse 11 says this, It is to a man's glory to overlook an offense, to let it go. You've been offended I've noticed we live in an extremely offendable culture these days. Everybody wants to be offended over something. I made a joke yesterday on Facebook. <laughs> My mistake. <laughs> I said, hey, if you noticed, today is 10-4, and so everything's going to be okay. I thought, yeah, that's a pretty good dad joke right there, you know. Someone responded with, uh, people are taking offense to that. What? What kind of world do we live in where we're constantly looking to be offended? The scriptures say, that's not the way to be. 
Because if you're gonna if you're gonna receive the mercy of God, then you have to be willing to overlook the offense. You have to be willing to drop it. You have to be willing to let it go. So what does mercy mean exactly? Well, you probably heard preachers say, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Very simple. It's being let off. It's being let go. I will confess to you that um, every once in a while I have taken a more liberal interpretation of the speed limit. Not liberal in too many things, but on occasion... I have said, ah, there's the law, but grace certainly applies here. And I go faster than the speed limit. Now, I know that according to the law, I have every right to be convicted. Several years ago, Christy and I were driving along. I was being liberal in my interpretation of the speed limit. And uh, I, I, I had the cruise control set excessive in exceedance of the speed limit, and I, I passed a highway patrol officer. Not the wisest decision. I was in my 20s, okay, give me grace. But I was going past, I wasn't going to, I didn't just blow the doors off him, but it was, you know, maybe two, three miles faster than he was going. I go around him, he doesn't do anything, it's fine. I go, all right, that guy gets grace. Then there's a slow semi, and I kind of zip around him, and, I, I exceed my exceeding of the speed limit. And I get around him, I get on down the road, and pretty soon I see the red and blue in the, in the, in the rearview mirror. And I know, I'm, I'm guilty, I have no excuse. I roll down the window, I hand him my license of registration. He says, you know you were speeding? I said, yes, I do, and, and I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. He said, yeah, I, I gave you an inch back there, and then you took a mile. He said, Mr. Levin, thank you for being honest. Um, let me run the, the plates and I'll be right back. He brings back license registration and he hands me a warning. He said, Mr. Levering, I'm going to show you mercy today. Now, please travel safely and o- obey the speed limit. I want you to get where you're going safely. I rolled up the window. I turned to my wife. With a smile so big, I looked like I was eating a banana sideways. She just shook her head. She said, that is not right. (laughs) You deserve that ticket. (laughs) I cannot believe you. That's That's a pretty simple illustration of how mercy works. You see, in that moment, I didn't get what I deserved. And when he let me off, when he let it go, when he decided not to file it there through the DMV and my insurance company and all that, I didn't get what I deserved. Now, my lovely wife was sitting next to me, and what she wanted for me was justice. She knew I deserved it, and when she saw me get let off, I don't think it actually angered her, but sometimes when you see people given mercy, it makes you angry. Oh, that's not right. That's not fair. That's exactly right. It's not. It's why it's called mercy, not justice. You see, mercy is a wonderful thing when we speak of our own sin and iniquity. We sing that song. I think we're going to sing it this morning. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. And in that song, there's a line that says, Though we have sinned, he has 
mercy and pardon. Pardon for you and for me. See, we've got to think about that song. Because the song doesn't go, pardon for me and for me. You see, we want to accept God's mercy, then God says you have to be willing to be merciful people. Extending it to other people is very difficult. I give you a biblical illustration, a story that if you're a long-time Bible student, you probably know quite well. It starts in about Genesis 37. If you are bored with the sermon at this point, want to just check out, go read Genesis 37 and begin learning the story of Joseph. I'm not going to go through it in its entirety, but just sum it up here. Joseph was a favored son. He was a favored son who stirred up the ire and the jealousy of his angry brothers and half-brothers. He was uh, a son who was, had dreams, and he told them all how he would, they would eventually serve him, and, and he just didn't understand how privileged he was. And so they hatched this plan where they decided they were going to kill Joseph and leave him for dead. They, they decided to be merciful to him and say, let's not kill him. Let's at least make some money off the deal. And so they sold him into slavery. Now put yourself in that picture for just a moment. Imagine your own family, imagine your own brothers and sisters hauling you up out of the well that they have put you in to leave you for dead. And you get to the top thinking they've had a change of heart and there is a caravan of people who intend to buy you. And they're going to put chains on you and they're going to wrap your neck and your, your, your hands in shackles. And they're going to haul you to a place and bid you off to the highest bidder. And you are going to get on their wagon or, or, or be led by their camel and you are are going to walk away, and as you walk away, you're going to look at your own siblings counting the money that they've made off of you. Imagine for just a moment, I don't know if you've ever been hurt by a brother or sister or sibling or family member. It probably hasn't happened. It doesn't happen very much in today's world. It was only a, a biblical thing. You see. It just happened back then. But if you can relate, maybe you understand the idea of being hurt by those who are supposed to love you. How might you have reacted to that? What might have been your moment when you were shackled as you're watching your brothers get smaller and smaller, counting the money that they've earned at the sale of your freedom? How might you have thought? What might be the thoughts in your heart towards your brothers who did that to you? You see, he would, he would go from, from a son to a slave. He, he would, of course, work his way up in Potiphar's house. Then he'd be falsely accused and he'd go back to being a prisoner. Imagine those moments in Joseph's life when he reaches the low point where it was the pit or being falsely accused or being stuck in prison. Don't you think it would have been possibly tempting at each of those lowest points to think, if only my brothers had not have done this, I wouldn't be here. To be filled with anger and envy and enmity and hate. Now, turn to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50, we see the full culmination of the story. Now, we, we, if you've read your Bible long enough and been in church long enough, you probably know how the story ends. Basically, suffice it to say, Joseph becomes extremely successful, becomes second in command in the most powerful nation on earth at the time, the nation of Egypt. He, he acquires great wealth, his family, everything goes good for Joseph. And his brothers, those who sold him into slavery long, long ago, have to come and grovel at his feet. And he has the opportunity for great revenge. And then their father passes away. 
And the brothers think, oh man, we are in for it now. He was only kind to us because our father was still around, but now he's gone. Imagine what's going to happen. And so this is where we enter the story. Genesis chapter 50, 5-0, verse 15. It's about page 56 in this pew Bible, if you want to follow along. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. You think? It may be. It may just be possible. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because the evil they did to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God, of the God of your father. Of course, that was a lie. And Joseph probably knew it. He knew their character. But Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear. Am I in the place of God? Verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God intended it all for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Because see, the word there, comforted, is is closely connected to the original word for mercy. Comfort, compassion, tenderness is what Joseph showed his brothers. You see, mercy in Joseph's heart had less to do with what his brothers had done to him and more to do what God had done to him. In him. Mercy is, is less about what's happened to you and more about what God's doing in you. That's how Joseph could forgive because he got the greater perspective. He saw what God was doing. He, he understood that, yes, it was terrible. Yes, it was awful. No, I didn't want to be there. But now I see what God is doing. And I can be merciful to you because God has been merciful to me. You see, mercy is not just for you. Mercy also means not giving others what they deserve. And that's where it gets hard. It is not about what others did to you. I I, I know. I know that it hurts. I I understand that I don't understand. I, I realize it's awful easy to stand up here and walk around and tell you what to do and read from a book and live my easy little life and have no idea what they did to you and how much it hurt. And they never apologized. And they just keep on living their life. And I say to you, you're right. I don't. I do not know that. But God does. And they hurt him too. May we be, as Jesus called us to be in Luke 6.36, merciful. Why? Even as your father is merciful. Now, this is interesting. If you, if you look at the text in Luke chapter 6, this is interesting to me because so often we take these verses out of context. We, we divide them up. We've got, I mean, mine's divided into sections. I want you to ignore all of that and just read with me page 1107 and listen to what Jesus says. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. 
Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I, I always thought that that verse was talking about giving. It's, it's talking about giving, yes, but what's it talking about? Not about, talk, about giving money at all. It's talking about giving mercy. With the measure that God has given you and I mercy. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus explained mercy by telling a story. It was about a man who had been wronged. Matthew chapter 18, if you want to follow along. Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or some translations say 70 times seven. In other words, you keep on doing it till you lose count. If you're legalistic enough, you go, well, I've, I've forgiven him 73 times, four more times, and then we're done. That's not Jesus' point. And then he tells the story, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And we began to settle. One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And he, since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children, and all that he had in payment be made. And so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, again, this is the idea, pity, compassion, tenderness. Out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. You see, that's us. We've been forgiven much. And yet, there's the rest of the story here, as Paul Harvey would say. But when that same servant went out, he went out of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, far less than he had been forgiven. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and he went and put him in prison so he, until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what they had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then they, his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had, this is the important part, if you're paying attention, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. you. You see, when we think about what is owed us, we think of a debt. Now, in, in their world, a debt was more often measured by a weight. Uh, they used scales and all of that. And so to weighing an amount of money had, had the scale. So when you were owed something, it was a weight against you. It was, it was something. I want you to think for just a second. I want you to just, just close your Bibles and look right here at this weight. What is it? How long have you been holding it? And why? You say, you don't understand. You don't know what was done to me. Hold on to it my whole life. I'll never forgive him. I'll never let it go. I don't understand. But you're holding on to something that God never asked you to hold on to. Pierce, come here for a second. Pierce, you look so light and easygoing. Let's just imagine for a second that you 
you get up in the morning, you're smiling, you're in a good mood, and you're... <laughs> so you get out of your room and your parents, they're not in a good mood. You've been there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you open the door. Your mom and your dad, they, they kind of jump on you. Paris, what are you doing? Did you clean that room? I told you to clean that room. I told you a thousand times to clean it. Did you clean your room today? Yeah. <laughs> but they yell at you and they ground you and they punish you and you... They may be a little harsher than they should be. And so you hold on to that. You ride to church. Now you're in a bad mood and you're holding on to it because, because you can't believe that they would treat you that way. You can't believe that they, they yelled at you like that and, and you told them you'd clean it, right? You'll get to it. But you got that weight. Now tomorrow you're going to go to school. And your teacher's not in a good mood either. And watching these students slacking off all weekend, they're ready to let you have it. So you're going to go into class. Your teacher's going to give you a test that you didn't expect, a pop quiz, but it's worth a lot of points. Can you hold on to that? All right. right. Now, Now hold on to it, okay? And you're mad at that teacher because... They gave you something, you didn't deserve it, and it wasn't right. Day's not over yet. (laughs) Now you go in, you're hungry from lunch, or for lunch. (laughs) You get your lunch tray, and you go to, to find a table to sit at, And all your friends, they've filled up that table again, and you have nowhere to sit. And nobody makes room for you. And now you don't know where to sit. And they they don't. Don't do that. (laughs) What I want you to do is to try to hold these three, okay? I'm sorry. (laughs) See, here's the thing. You didn't hear him. But he said, I got this, man. We got people in the pews holding on to so much stuff. They're holding on to stuff that God never asked them to hold on to. You see, mercy, if you just think about the word, all of this stuff is heavy, isn't it, Pierce? It hurts, doesn't it, Pierce? I'm going to have back pain, man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have back pain, he says, yeah. And God never asked you to hold on to it. In fact, he says, what I want you to do is lay it down. You ready to let go of your burdens? Yes, please. Go ahead and drop them all, buddy. Drop them. Just drop them. No way. That that was the most painful drop I've ever seen in my (laughs) life. Let me ask you, 
How does it feel not to carry all the burdens? Pretty good. Do you have any desire to pick those back up? No. You know why? Because it's heavy and it hurts. Thank you, Pierce. Here's the point. We think about mercy, we think about the mercy of God, and that's true. But if you're going to have the mercy from God, you better be willing to extend the mercy for God. And that means you've got to let it go. You've got to lay it down. You've got to start. The word mercy begins with me. You can't have mercy without me. You've you got to start with you. If you want the master to forgive your debts, you must be willing to forgive the debts owed against you. You don't know how much. You're right, I don't. But I can guarantee you this, it was far less than what Jesus forgave you of. You don't know how heavy. Yes, I understand. So let go of it. Show compassion just as God showed you compassion. We have to let go of what others did to us because of what God did for us. That's what mercy is all about. Now, that's easy for me to talk about and do a cute illustration, but, but the Scripture is quite clear. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. James chapter 2, verse 13, Judgment without mercy awaits those who have shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Holding on to those things that you're owed doesn't hurt anyone but you. And I mean that. It hurts you physically. It hurts you spiritually. You've got to let it go. How can I possibly let it go? How can I let it go? They never even said they were sorry. They never repented. You, you, let, you leave that between them and God. Here's how you do it. You fix your eyes upon Jesus, the wonderful, merciful Savior. We think about Jesus, and we, we, we understand that he was a merciful Savior. Go to the book of John and look the number of times that Jesus showed mercy to an adulterous woman who was caught, who had hurt her husband, potentially uh, whoever she was... Uh, Intimate with, she had hurt the community, she had embarrassed her family. And Jesus, who could have condemned her, said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Jesus let it go. Jesus laid it down. Go to the upper room where Jesus, in John chapter 13, takes a knee and a towel But what's interesting is that John points out something that I had never noticed before. And if you care to follow along in Scripture, notice this. John 13, page 1155 in the Pew Bible. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had gone from God that he come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, 
And he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around. He washed Judas' feet because he was a wonderful, merciful Savior. He knew what was in Judas's heart. He knew what was about to happen. He knew that it was Judas's feet who were going to leave that room and go defile themselves with greed. And yet he still washed them. Jesus was a merciful Savior, John chapter 18. When a man named Malchus, who had come to arrest Jesus, found himself with a hearing problem, as Peter took a sword and, I guess, aiming for his head, and who is apparently clearly not a swordsman, missed and got his ear. Now imagine, these are the men coming to arrest you, coming to take you, coming to crucify you. And in an act of mercy, Jesus takes aside this man who has tried to arrest him and kill him, takes his bloody ear and reattaches it and holds his head and heals the man. That's Jesus. Wonderful, merciful Savior. Gracious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb would rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescued the souls of men. The verse that we know in Scripture, Father, forgive them. They know what not they do. It wasn't just said like that. Jesus was hanging on a Roman cross. Every breath he took filled him with pain. His lungs probably filling up with fluid. His heart beating, gasping for every beat. And with those moments, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Mercy. Not because of how good we are, but because of how good he is. He showed mercy to a Peter who had denied him three times and said, If you love me, feed my sheep. You see, Jesus was a merciful Messiah. And he calls us as followers of him to be merciful people. He didn't just love mercy. He lived mercy. He showed us how to live mercy. Bojean was wronged unfairly. He left this world because he was wronged unfairly. Amber Geiger was fired. She was charged with murder. Her trial began six days ago. And during the trial, these were her words. I know that I have to live with this every single day of my life. And I ask God for forgiveness. And I hate myself Every single day. I never wanted to take an innocent person's life. And I'm so sorry. The world didn't want to forgive Amber. Amber didn't want to forgive Amber. There were people calling for crucify her, crucify her. I mean, they were gathered around. Look what she did. Look how wrong it was. And yes, we agree. And then something happened in this moment where the world got to see Mercy. Bo's brother, Brant, came to the stand in the sentencing, and here's what he said. If you truly are sorry, I know 
I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask Him, He will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. gets it. You think that was easy for him? No. But he gets it. He understands what the gospel is all about. And the world, whether they knew it or not, saw the gospel lived out through Brant's actions at the trial. There's a really cool rest of the story. And we're running quite long today, and that's my fault. And if you're mad at me for that, I'll encourage you just to lay it down. So what I'm going to do is share that rest of the story on Facebook, because you need to see that. You need to see how mercy changed the world, not just in that story, 
but in this story too. This morning, I want to invite you to come to the wonderful, merciful Savior. Now, there's two ways I want to offer this invitation. The first is, if you have not given your life to Jesus, and here at Northside, we're a very simple church. We just say, what does the Bible say to do? What did Jesus say to do? Not pray a prayer, not invite him into your heart. Jesus said, believe and be baptized. And if you're ready to do that, we're ready to help you do that. And so in a moment, we're going to have the invitation song. And you can come down forward and say, I'd like to to repent and be baptized. And we will begin your journey with the wonderful, merciful Savior. But there's a second invitation I want to offer. You see, I've left these weights down here this morning. And maybe you're sitting there this morning knowing that you have something that you've been holding on to for far too long. And you know you need to let it go. You know it's killing you. Physically and spiritually. And you can't hold on to it any longer. And this morning I want to give you an opportunity to come forward. And pick up a weight. Symbolizing whatever it is. And then I want you to hand it to one of our shepherds. Who will take it. And set it down and pray with you. And so if you need to do that in a public way, this morning is your opportunity to have mercy, not just on them, but on you. And to lay down what God never asked you to hold on to any longer. This morning, if you need to take up the cross and follow Jesus, or if you need to just simply lay down whatever you've been holding on to, Right now is the opportunity to do that. Please come if you have a need. As together we stand and sing.